I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but the Christmas season is upon us. It, yeah, go ahead. It's okay. That's fine. I'm going to crush that down in a minute. It'll be okay. <clears throat> As you go out and leave your house, uh, you'll notice uh, that things look different, right? You drive down your street. Everybody's got that one neighbor who's trying to outdo everybody else. Their house is glowing. The meter's running, right? They've lessened the amount of electricity you have at your place. So things look different. Things sound different. You walk through the Walmart or the Meyer, you're used to hearing that, those sweet jams that they play, and the songs are different, right? You get the Christmas music coming. Something has is, something is changed. Things smell different. Maybe at your house you have a real tree or you hang the little fir tree fake car smell things in your fake tree so that you get that real fir tree smell, right? Or maybe... Uh, you're baking cookies or pies or whatever. Things, things tend to smell different this time of year. And somehow, this cultural phenomenon uh, known as Christmas time or the holidays seems to change the way people behave toward each other. Sometimes for good, sometimes for ill, like on Black Friday. But I've also noticed that, that this change happens earlier and earlier. Did anybody else notice that as soon as the trick-or-treaters went home, the Christmas trees came out? We've, we've started this, this cultural movement um, to Christmas time early, and it, and it seems to change us, often for the good. And I think what I've noticed is uh, a lot of us see it as an opportunity. Churches, nonprofits, schools, uh, people who see that folks are more generous with their time, with their finances. Uh, we see that there is goodwill in the air. There's hope, there's joy. And so we dial it up to 11. And I don't know what anybody else's calendar looks like over the next couple of weeks, but my Google calendar is nothing but blue, right? That's the color that says, I'm busy. Can I get a witness? You got school, choir concerts, band concerts, office parties, family parties, gift exchanges, cookie decorating parties, any excuse you can imagine for people to get together, we're taking it. And we, sometimes we get to the end of this season and we look back and every now and then we say, oh, that was great. And other times we say, I will never do that again. And I think what Advent and specifically this story of Zechariah has something for us today uh, that might be a benefit. Don't worry, in the past I've been called a Scrooge or a Grinch trying to tramp down everyone's joy. That is not my intention. Continue to have your joyous celebrations. Just asking you to explore with me what Zechariah might have to say, the story of Zechariah might have to say to us this morning. As Luke starts the story in Luke chapter one, we learn three things about Zechariah and Elizabeth, right? The first, they're both from the priestly order, right? That priestly order who goes before God and represents the people. 
Luke says these two people are going to be representative of Israel, and today they're going to be representative of us. Two, they're righteous. They're upright. They have, throughout their life, done their best to obey the commands and regulations of the Lord. We don't get any sort of condemnation. They are upright and righteous people in the eyes of God and probably in the eyes of the people around them. And many here are seeking God with their whole heart. Uh, Many here are trying to follow what it is that God is leading us to do. And three, they couldn't have a child. So while the first two are true, they're from the priestly order, they're seeking God, trying to live the way God has called them to live, there's still something wrong. Especially for Elizabeth in that time and place. There's shame. There's a question of maybe they're not living the way God wants them to. Those are the only three things we know going into this story. We're going to let Zechariah and Elizabeth represent us. We're going to see what God has to say to us through them. And as the story is set up, we see Zechariah begin to enter the temple. Now keep in mind, the rest of the context of of this story tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth probably aren't people who live in Jerusalem, right? Zechariah is probably a country priest, lives out in one of the outer cities or outer towns, and has come in because his group of priests are called on duty for this particular season. The temple takes a lot of hands and his group of priests are called in. And the lot is cast. He gets to go inside the temple, burn incense and represent the people in prayer. This is probably the only time in all of Zechariah's career that he'll be allowed to do this. It's the only time he gets to do this probably. And so he's walking in to the inner parts of the temple. And keep in mind, this is a space where if I am going to have an encounter with God, it's probably going to be here in Israel at that time. They, they believed that the presence of God was palpable in a way in this place that it wasn't anywhere else. This is where the presence of God meeting earth dwelled, was in the temple. And this is where Zechariah is coming. Brief aside, I'll give this to you for free, or ask this question of you for free. Do you have sacred spaces? Do you have some places that are set aside for time and space where you expect to encounter God? That can be a lot of different places. Hopefully, this is one of those spaces. Nothing special about this room necessarily, other than the fact that we intentionally set set aside time and space for brothers and sisters to gather together and to remember, to uh, respond to the revelation of God. Maybe you have a sacred space out in the woods somewhere or a special room in your house, a special place where you've had an encounter with God in the past, but you have these sacred spaces where you expect to encounter God. I I wonder if there are times that we haven't set up spaces and therefore we go through life not ever really expecting to have an encounter with God. Anyway, side note. Zechariah has entered the temple. 
He's burning the incense. He's offering the prayers of the people. Boom. A messenger of the Lord shows up. Now, let's say you're even in your sacred space, a place where you encounter God from time to time in some sort of way. A messenger of the Lord showing up might throw you off a little. Am I right? What's going to be your response? What's going to be your reaction? Wow, that's not much of a reaction. Fear. Can I just give that to you? The messenger of the Lord shows up, even if you're in your sacred space, you're probably going to be overcome with fear. This is common throughout the scriptures, right? People will have an encounter with God or with God's messenger, and they're overwhelmed with fear. The first response of the messenger is always what? Fear not, right? I'm not sure that's going to help me very much. I'm still scared. But this messenger of the Lord says something else that is extremely important for you to hear, and I just want you to sit with it for a second. This messenger looks at Zechariah and says, God has heard your prayer. All right. Now the temptation is to just let that go. Of course, God always hears our prayers. I've known that since I was a child. But sit with it for a second. The messenger of the Lord is face to face with Zechariah and says, God has heard your prayer. If that happened to you, what would the messenger say next? For some people, I could even tell you what that prayer was. There is a prayer that is weighing on you that you have people praying with you that is deep and painful and you're seeking God regularly for that specific thing. God has heard your prayer. But there are other times when if the messenger of the Lord was standing face to face with me and he said, God has heard your prayer, I'd want to say, wait, 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 wait. Hang on. I don't think I've been praying big enough. If God has actually heard my prayer, I want to redo. Because I think there are times when we come to the Lord over and over and over, while we hope God is hearing our prayers, we don't always pray as if God will or does hear our prayers. And the messenger looked at Zechariah and said, God has heard your prayer. An important thing to note, Luke hasn't told us yet what that prayer is. And an interesting thing is when the messenger responds and kind of lets us in on the secret of what the prayer is, I have to question whether or not Zechariah has prayed that prayer in a real long time. Because what does the angel say? 
God has heard your prayer. You will have a child. Zechariah and Elizabeth are old friends. How long do you think it has been since Zechariah has prayed that prayer? Probably been a minute. God has heard your prayer. And I think often I've read this passage the way Bud kind of plays it out in the video. Automatic denial. No way, God. But there, can we reimagine it for just one second? Can we take some liberty? Would that be okay? I'm gonna anyway. The angel says, I have heard, God has heard your prayer. You are going to have a child. And I imagine Zechariah first being, yeah, that's awesome. That's great. That's, that is good news. And the angel goes on and says, and this child will bring great joy to you. And Zechariah's like, yes, that is, I can't wait to tell Elizabeth, this is, we'll have a party, we'll have a gender reveal party and we'll blow something up and stuff will be blue or pink. It'll be amazing. I think that went back to that time period. But then the angel says, and this child will bring great joy to many people. And then feel maybe Zechariah going, yeah, I might be overstating a little bit. Like we've got quite a bit of family. The other priests know who we are. It'd be a good number of people, but not, I mean, a lot, come on. And then the angel says, this child will prepare the way for the coming Lord. And I imagine at this point, Zechariah says, what's that you're saying, angel person? Prepare the way, okay. Uh, if my theology classes and my priestly training are right, are you saying my child's gonna prepare the way for the Messiah? That's what you're saying. That's a game changer. As God responded to Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer, we remember that while God cares for us specifically, while God listens when we pray for our very specific prayers, God also has a bigger picture in mind. And God says, I am answering your prayer and I am answering the prayers of the people. Let's not forget that Zechariah is a priest and as he has entered the temple offering the incense, the prayers of the people, remember those people who are gathered still outside praying while Zechariah is in the temple, they have their specific prayers, but they are also praying for the deliverance of Israel. They are praying that the Messiah would come and set things right. They are praying that the injustice they are experiencing would be set right. And God looks at Zechariah and says, I am answering your prayer specifically, but I am also answering the prayers of the people. And this child will prepare the way for the Lord.
And I wonder if this is when Zechariah's countenance changes. This is when he begins to say, uh-huh. And I have, over the years, given Zechariah a really hard time about this. I have not been very forgiving, right? Friend, you got an angel standing in front of you telling you this is gonna happen and you're gonna argue? Come on, I'm better than that, right? So are you, don't lie. You've done the same thing. But Zechariah says, how can this be? Seems like a legitimate question. How is this possible? And the second half of what he says may reveal a little bit of his heart. He says, I am old. I'm real old. My wife, she's well along in years. He's a smart guy. He didn't call her old. I'm old. My wife is well along in years. Basically saying what? I can't do this. I know you're a messenger from the Lord. I hear what you're saying, but I can't do this. And I've been around long enough to experience it myself and walk with other people. As we get a nudge from the Lord saying, I'm calling you to do this thing. And our response so often is, I can't. I'm too old, too young. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough training. I'm not experienced enough. That's not in my skill set. And our answer is, I can't. But then it struck me in this particular instance. When God came to Moses in the book of Exodus in the burning bush, you remember this story? And he says, I have heard the cries of my people and I have come down to rescue them. And I can imagine Moses going, yeah, pumping his fist. And then God says, I've come down to rescue them and I'm sending you. Now you go talk to Pharaoh. Right? Well, wait a minute, God, you said you were coming down to rescue them. That's different than what happened here, right? God called Moses to go take on the leader of the world. When God shows up to Zechariah, he just makes a declaration. He just says, Elizabeth's gonna have a baby. The correct answer from Zechariah is, okay. It seems rather simple. He didn't say, go talk to Caesar. He said, Elizabeth's going to have a baby. And Zechariah's response is, we can't do that. And this is where the story turned for me this time. I think when I've read this story in the past, again, I've interpreted it the way 
Our angel in the video interpreted it. I imagined Gabriel standing front in front of Zechariah and the countenance changing, maybe stomping the foot a little bit, wagging the finger, right? Because you don't believe, you don't get to speak. Anybody else read that that way? Just me? Okay, great. I wonder, feel free to disagree with me here, but it struck me. Is it possible that Zechariah's silence was a gift rather than a punishment? I'm pretty sure it's the sign Zechariah is essentially asking for, right? How can this happen? Well, let me show you. You don't get to talk anymore. Maybe it's a punishment, but what if, maybe, just maybe, it's a gift? Now, that might be hard for some of us to comprehend, right? If you're an external processor, or you're the type of person who when God calls us to do something, you say, well, let's get together, let's talk about it, let's make a plan, let's form a committee, let's have a steering group, let's move things forward. Right? If you're that type of person, and I said, God's calling us to do this, and now I'm going to give you a gift. We're going to pack up, and we're going to go away on a two-day silent retreat. You're going to say, that's no gift. What are you doing? <laughs> and if I said, God is calling us to do this thing, and as a gift, let's pack up your stuff, and go away on a nine-month silent retreat, you're surely going to say you have lost your mind. Am I right? Is it possible that closing Zechariah's mouth was a gift? Zechariah seemed like the type of person who wants to be able to explain things, to plan, maybe even control. That might be harsh, but let's go with it. But imagine over the coming months, and it's easy to miss that this is a nine-month period because it just happens in a few short verses. But imagine with me, if you will, Zechariah can no longer speak. He comes home from serving as a priest one day, Elizabeth comes into the room and she says, Zechariah, I have good news. I'm pregnant. And Zechariah can't explain it away or talk about how wonderful our science is these days. He can't begin to worry and make plans and say, well, we need to plan for this and prepare for that and let's take care of these things. All he can do is sit, watch, and listen. As Elizabeth comes into the room and she says, Zechariah, I'm pregnant. And a few months later, he hears that this young girl, Mary, has said, I'm pregnant. Well, that's not weird. She's of childbearing age until she says, 
And this baby has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. What now? And Zechariah the priest says, well, nothing. But he could say, (laughs) he could say, we need to fix her theology. She doesn't seem to know how this works. God doesn't operate that way. No. He sits, he sees, and he listens to what's happening. And maybe, just maybe, because he's a priest, and maybe even because he can't speak, I wonder if Joseph came to see him one day. Joseph, who too has had an encounter with an angel. And Joseph sits down with this priest who can't talk, and he says, look, I know you can't say anything, so I'm going to share this with you because it seems like I'm crazy. But an angel of the Lord came to visit me. And this angel told me that Mary, my fiance, is going to have a child, and this child is not mine. But I'm not supposed to cast her out. And I'm supposed to raise this child as if he's my own. And this child will be the savior of the world. And it's possible that Zechariah may want to say, look, we need to go into damage control mode because this is going to look bad on the family. Here's what you should do. Here's how you should fix it. Here's how you should move this thing forward so we don't all look bad. Mm -mm. Zechariah can't speak. And so he listens and he watches as God continues to work and unfold this amazing story. Is it possible the silence was a gift? Is it possible that in the midst of the chaos of this time of year, that occasional silence might be a gift? set aside a sacred space, a sacred time to just stop talking and doing and watch and listen what God is up to. Don't miss this part. This is the best part. The nine months comes to pass. The baby is born. Zechariah hasn't been talking all this time. An argument breaks out amongst the family as families are known to do. And Elizabeth's relatives are saying, what will you name this child? Elizabeth, being a person who tries to follow what God says, says this baby's name will be John. The family says, no one in our family is named John. You have lost your mind. That is not what you will name this baby. And Zechariah finally obeys God. And how simple was it? He writes down, holds it up. His name is John. Now, 
That seems easy enough. But don't miss the transformation in Zechariah. He's holding up a sign that says, his name is God is gracious. God is raining down his grace on us in this time, in this place. God is making all things new. This baby will prepare the way for the Lord. Let's sit and revel and celebrate the grace of God. And as soon as he writes it and his mouth is open, the text says the people began to rejoice and worship. And then we get to see Zechariah for the first time speak. And he speaks a beautiful song declaring that God has delivered his people. And if you notice, he says it in the present tense, God has delivered his people, even though it hasn't happened yet. Something has transformed in Zechariah. Something has changed in this nine months of silence as he watched and listened as God worked. And I would encourage us over the next few weeks to be quiet, to watch, to listen, to sit in silence and look back at what happened in the busyness of the past day, the past few days, the past week, and ask God, show me where you have been at work so that I can give you praise. to spend time in solitude and silence and look through the scriptures at God's faithfulness, at God's work through his people and revel in the graciousness of our God. And to remember that this is not work that we do, although we get to participate Ultimately, this is a work of God and we celebrate it.